Greetings, ladies and gents, and welcome to this narration of the web series Solo Apocalypse, taken from Royal Row. If you're new to the series, there is a playlist listed in the description. And as always, I hope that you enjoy. Chapter 23 I woke up blearily, feeling more than just rested. I felt good. And when I opened my eyes, I explored my sanctuary in greater depth. If the skilled description explained anything, it meant this place was a reflection of myself. I threw off the blankets and walked around barefoot on dark wooden floors. There were plants peeking out of vertical and horizontal planters across the walls. A couch that was perfect to relax. Glass windows, sleek black marble. It was raining outside, which was peculiar, since there wasn't an outside. It was comfortable, easy. It had running water, which I was amazed at. No food, though. The kitchen was empty, but the storage was there. An empty pantry. It was a beautiful, calming place. It gave off a sense of serenity and peace. The air was cool, with no trace of uncomfortable heat or humidity. Just like how I'd preferred. I'd acquired Never Alone the moment I got my class, followed by low profile after escaping from the university campus. Then I got Solo's Instinct at level 10. I made it hard to determine whether the skills came at certain milestones or from certain actions. This one, Solo Sanctuary, it felt very powerful in a way I couldn't define beyond its logical benefits. The skill was powerful, not just its effects. I could stay here, I whispered, sinking into my couch. Mine. I was probably one of the few people who could lay claim to any type of safe haven in the world. I'd never have to leave. With my clones, I could have everything I want just from this couch. As soon as the words left my mouth, I knew they were wrong. With the skill came an odd instinctual awareness of the capabilities it brought about. Sometimes it was direct and unsettling. Other times they came to me as they became relevant. Like now. The fact that this place tired my soul. Where I could relax here, recover both my mental and physical fatigue. I accrued another fatigue altogether. A sanctuary indeed, invaluable in this apocalypse, but not without a cost. I felt it now, a peculiar strain on some ethereal part of me. If only it'd be so easy, I sighed, closing my eyes. I had a few hours. Outside the sanctuary, second and fourth were furrowing their brows, their faces lost amongst the crowd. How the hell did someone take it down? My parents, what happened to them? My family. Oh God, what are we supposed to fucking do? We can't live like this. What about? A tide of thoughts, barely comprehensible. Too many mental voices. I couldn't falter them all. Instead, I withered them with sheer mental fortitude. I might have staggered before, but my mental attributes had since been enhanced. It was less the acute pickaxe sensation of the root mother's thoughts and more of an unyielding tide. A general pressure, as opposed to a sharp one. A piece of firewood fell to the floor and I stared up to find the same woman I had saved. Her eyes were deep blue, sparkling, but her face was red and puffy as if she'd been crying. She looked like she'd seen a ghost and it only took me a moment to gather my thoughts and realize why. I had died saving her. In her eyes, she was seeing a ghost. This sudden distraction jarred my mind and allowed me to focus, ignoring all other mental voices. I... I watched you die, she stammered, unsure, and eyes wide. It's you, isn't it? 
How is he alive? He was taken right in front of me. I grimaced. Don't remind me. I saw her blink as if she didn't expect I was real. How are you alive? She asked, gathering the firewood she dropped, holding me with an uncomfortable stare. It would have been off-putting before. Now, I could read her body, understand her motive. I blinked, strangely aware of her posture, the slouch in her shoulders, the expression in her eyes. Was that the effect of the charisma attribute? I was seeing things I'd never catch before. You don't have to feel guilty about it, I said slowly, not trusting my intuition. I'm... I'm... You saved me, she blurted. Thank you. Thank you. I owe you. I owe you so much. There is anything I can do. Just say the word. But how did he escape? A skill? Should I ask? No. I can't just ask a stranger for their class and skills. Look, you really don't have to go that far. How are you alive? She interrupted me. Would answering give away my abilities? That I need to be so cautious with what I could do? Somehow, I knew how to navigate the question without a second thought. Does it matter? I asked, giving her a small smile. I'm happy you're safe. It's a little funny, but you're the first person I've sacrificed myself for. She reddened, and I had an uncomfortable certainty to realize that she was blushing. I guess uh, it doesn't matter. Not really. I'm Rosa. And really, thank you. I don't think that you realize it. You saved me. She put emphasis on it this time, and I did straighten a little. You're welcome. I'm Evan. I gave her a small wave. Are you the one who killed it? Could it have been him? Parker said that he was the first person he saw saving people. Her eyes were searching. The world notice, I said, pretending recognition. No, that wasn't me. I uh, couldn't even imagine taking that thing on. Apparently lying fell under charismatics. She took a seat next to me. Well, they're not among the people here. If they are, they've been keeping quiet. They must have a powerful class or skill. I'm only level three, but I heard some people are up to level five. But to face that thing, I have no idea how strong you'd have to be. They were weaker than the group from the library, but that was understandable, given the circumstances. I only hoped it didn't cripple their chances of survival. I watched the throng of people. Campfires were lit, a perimeter of watchmen. They'd organized a defensive formation. Some of them butted against larger roots, but otherwise exposed in the clearing. The main benefit was the long sightline, an early warning for dangers. Have they decided what to do? I asked. I mean, after all this, they can't stay here, can they? Rose sobered, quieting as she followed my gaze. The quiet and few people were just staring blankly into their campfires at the skyscraper, at the ground, trying to process. Most people are still coming to terms. This whole thing is unbelievable, she said softly. No one's ready to leave, even though I think that's what we're going to end up doing. But where was there to go here? It was a question even I didn't have an answer for. Rosa, there you are. Are you... You... A man slowed down from his jog, staring. I recognized him as the first person to help second, to help third save Rose, and the one of the two people who saw me pulled up towards the field boss's mouth. A conventionally handsome man, rugged and muscled, with earnest eyes. I saw you die, he whispered. I smiled good-naturedly. I survived, somehow. That was the story of my life in the apocalypse so far, wasn't it? How? came the immediate expected question. Rose shrugged. Let's not pry, Parker. He saved me. 
That's all that matters. Besides, I think being so open about your details might not be a good thing, she answered for me. Though, from the side glance she gave me, I could tell that she was intensely curious. A skill, then? Parker questioned, looking at me. It was disbelief, rather than distrust. So I weathered his stare as his mind worked it through. It makes sense. If he was risking his life so much, he had to have uh, had a way out. Hearing the inner monologue was jarring in its own way. Now that the other voices stopped, I didn't know how I felt about it, but I couldn't deny its use. As he came to that conclusion, he slumped with relief. That's good. That's one more survivor, after all. We might need all the hands we can get. He looked at me directly. Thank you for what you did back there. You saved a lot of people. And it was a curse of charisma that I could see just how genuine and earnest the statement was. He caught me off guard, how serious he came off. You're welcome, I replied, slightly off balance. I I couldn't just let people walk to their deaths. I was telling Evan, Rose cut in, gesturing to me, about what's going on. Did anyone say anything? Parker looked at Rose, face grim. That's actually why I was looking for you. Some folks wanted to at least secure the remains of the skyscraper. It's collapsed, and some of it hasn't stopped smoldering, but we could still use it as a base. Better than being completely exposed or camping out in the swamp. Why are they looking for people? I said, sitting up. Was there something else in there? The thought chilled me. Parker took a seat at a nearby route as Rose started a small fire. I watched her fingers spark in surprise. Crackling embers rose into the sky. A candle compared to the inferno I had breathed life into. Parker exhaled, staring at the campfire and Rose. Well, there's someone with the seeker class. His search school came up with something. We're not sure what it is yet, but he didn't think that it was inherently dangerous. We're gathering people to go inside and confirm it. People who can handle themselves. He glanced at Rose and then at me. I came to convince Rose, but it was not too much to ask. You seemed like you could handle yourself too. Something in the ruins of the skyscraper. The thought of any unfinished business irked me. I thought the fire had ended things. Was there something more? At the very least, it would be a good opportunity to see what abilities other people gained beyond what first had already seen. Welcome, I responded after a moment, wordlessly. The two other clones moved amongst the crowd. End of chapter. Chapter 24. As it turned out, it was a dungeon. I had no context for what that meant, or what it was. Someone did, though, or at least had a hunch. I'm telling you, we can't just leave. Not with this here. A harried, perspeckled man was yelling. I have to convince them. Don't they see? You're out of your mind. It's dangerous. A gruff, heavy-set man responded. We have no idea what's happening. Every hint of the unknown could kill us. You saw what the field boss did. Let's just wait for the police, the, the military. Someone chimed in, shrinking a few immediate glares. Are you stupid? We're in the middle of a swamp. There is entire buildings were teleported. You can hope to be saved all you want, but I doubt the government is going to be the one to do it. Everything's gone to hell. Someone will come by. They'll fly jets overhead, send soldiers through the swamp. We'll be rescued in no time. The woman didn't even sound like she believed herself. Her voice cracked. A few eyes softened. Someone sighed. Someone escort her back to the camps. A man snorted, stepping up wordlessly. Come on, Julia. Everything will be okay, all right? We'll figure it out. He brought her away from the group, 
bringing our numbers down. A few people watched them go, the scene leaving a somber mood. Damn apocalypse, someone muttered. It's fine. We can't expect everyone to keep their heads, a voice said. It's, uh, there's no precedent, he said softly, binding his thought. Can you imagine what's happening across the world, that world notice? Think about what that means. The entire world is experiencing this. We're the lucky ones. We're probably... A man spoke ponderingly, watching the two leave. Lucky ones? Another man laughed, fatalist. Me got fecking mind control. We were about to run into that thing's mouth, he yelled. How many of us died? You'd think we're fecking lucky, he scoffed. I do, Gary responded, voice steel. We're lucky because the most dangerous thing in this entire swamp is also probably that pile of ash. His eyes drifted to the skyscraper. The worst we'd ever have to worry about is already dead. That shut the man up. Enough, Parker spoke, cutting into the silence. Gary, everyone, let's hear what Rickson has to say. He's the one who found the dungeon. Let's let him talk, he said, gesturing. The man in glasses, Rickson, took a breath, seemingly nervous with all the attention. He was the seeker, which I found to be an interesting class. He looked caught off guard by the sudden prompt, but eventually found his words. I leveled when I found it, he said shakily. A few brows raised. We need to level. That's how we guarantee our survival. Skills, attributes, you all saw the screens. It's something like another field boss happens. We need to be ready. Gary was a middle-aged man with graying hair. Strict, but he didn't strike me as unreasonable. He eyed Rickson, whose determined eyes broke through the nervous posture. What's that got to do with a dungeon? Gary asked. I think, I, I think, beyond doing things according to your class, we can level by, well, experience, he said. This dungeon is that. It's like a natural resource. Remember that person who found the common chest around the roots? He got an item. I think we can probably get those from the dungeon, too. Experience? Rose asked. What do you mean? Experience like, uh, killing monsters, surviving dangerous situations, overcoming obstacles, he said. We all leveled just from surviving the field boss, he said, which got him a handful of thoughtful looks. A natural resource, huh? Gary muttered. If we can get items like the kind George found, then it might be worth staying. It's risky, Parker warned, and we can't be sure how any of this works. No one is ever going to find out if we don't try how long are we going to flail around for? Look, all I'm saying is that we should be careful. We can just take it slow and easy. Slow, careful, I can agree with, to a certain extent, but slow. What happens if some godforsaken monster waltzes through the swamp and decides we're all food? We need to do something. Someone has to take that first step. It might as well be us. Then we go inside. Everyone turned to Rose. She was the last person I, and everyone else apparently, expected to speak. I'm sick of being helpless. We go inside, see if we level, and see what we get. Everyone here can handle themselves, right? There's no other way to know. Her eyes were a challenge, and no one dared suggest otherwise. She took that as an answer. And then we decide, she finished. Parker exhaled, keeping a cool head. Let's check out the entrance first. He looked at the seeker. Rickson, mind leading the way? There were ten volunteers total, down from the original twelve. Everyone had proven, one way or another, that they were survivors. It was a small group, though, considering the number of survivors. But everyone here had a good head on their shoulders. I could attest to that with the random snippets of thoughts I'd picked up on. 
Even some had been argumentative or combative, everyone was on the same page. I was still unable to focus that effect of telepathy, despite my cursory attempts at practice. I knew Rose, Parker, Gary, and Rickson. The names of the rest were lost to me. I thought it would be odd one out, but not everyone here knew each other despite working in the same building. Some were strangers, unified through disaster, me among them. The dungeon wasn't anything I expected. It wasn't at the Root Mother's Ashes, nor, technically, in the ruins of the skyscraper. Instead, it was an arched gateway formed from the gnarled bark of the tree itself. Inexplicably pristine against the section of the swamp tree the skyscraper had been occupying. Had it been there the entire time, blocked by the building by happenstance, or had the defeat of the field boss triggered something? Though covered in soot and ash, the tree itself had never caught fire. It didn't even look burnt. And the dungeon entrance itself, otherworldly, was the only world that encompassed what I was seeing. Whoa, I said dumbly. Beautiful, right? Rickson responded, staring as I did. It's, yeah, beautiful, I responded, at a loss for words. It was a glowing film, a primordial sheen over the space that should have lit somewhere. It had depth and not, impressions dancing across the surface. I could almost see uh, a swamp, a forest, something of nature fitting across the film. Like a bubble of soap with more substance. Rixton was small against the backdrop of that gateway as he continued, leaving me staring moments longer. I kept pace with him easily, a detail that was not lost on either of us. The roots became larger the nearer the base when we climbed the whole way. Most of the group was flagging. I was doing only a little better, knowing how to move across the roots. My clone's physicality was actually more than my previous original selves, before I'd gotten the title. I don't think my actual stealth would have tried at all. I'm surprised that you can keep up with me, Rickson commented, looking at me. I've got terrain to reversal as a skill. It helps me move across this like it's nothing. It's amazing. My mind caught up with what he said, so lost in the sight. Terran traversal. How's that work? I asked, looking at him. It's like a... I've always known how. My feet move before I can think. Not really any different than how we normally move around. I don't really think about it, I just do. It sounded like he was more in awe of himself than anything else. More in tune with this world than the last. I had the sudden, quiet realization that that made two of us. I saw him there, one foot a step higher than the root, eyes roaming the path up, and wondered if I looked like that. If someone could stare at me and say that I looked almost like I belonged. And uh, you? he asked turning around to check the other progress. He sat down, waiting for them to catch up, and I took a spot nearby. I'm not from the building, I said after a moment, gesturing to the remains, a marvel of humanity's mastery over nature, succumbed to the new reality. I was roaming the swamp for two weeks before getting here. I guess I learned a thing or two moving across the roots. I tried to help as much as I could when I saw what was happening. Alone, Rexon blinked, immediately looking at me differently. What's your name? Evan, I replied. And you're Rickson, right? Nice to meet you, he replied. Likewise. And we left it at that, both of us soaking in the sounds of the swamp. When the voices drifted upwards, Rickson broke the silence and called for a break. They'd climbed high enough to peek over the ridge of the roots and see the gateway. It didn't take long before we started moving again. You'll see it soon, 
Rickson called back, he and I leading the pack. I was about to ask what he meant when I did see it. Dungeon Sleepywood, a lethargic glade shrouded in twilight, where creatures both wonderful and dangerous stalk freely. A haven for both fauna and flora that thrive between night and dawn. To venture forth is to cast away fear and enter the shadows of looming trees and watchful eyes. Vastly increased submergence of twilight-related, light-related, and dark-related rewards. Great increase emergence of energy-related rewards. Note, this dungeon has not been explored yet. As such, the first group to enter will have the quality of their rewards vastly increased. Upon first group's exit, the Sleepy Wood will undergo a period of 24 hours in which the quality of all rewards will be raised for all who enter thereafter. End of chapter. Chapter 25. I woke up in the solo sanctuary, coming to consciousness in the most peaceful manner I'd ever woken to in weeks. Relax, splayed across my couch. I was fairly certain I'd been snoring. A miracle, considering how paranoid I'd been. This place truly is a sanctuary, I said, sighing as I stood up. It was time to go. If that increasingly burdened part of my soul was anything to go by, the ethereal feeling that I couldn't truly trace with anything but the skill itself. I couldn't pinpoint the exact length of time I spent inside, but it was enough for a night of a deep sleep and then some. Reluctantly, I took three steps away from the couch and sanctuary blurred away, reality reasserting itself. And there I stood, right where I'd left, overlooking the arrangement of campfires that some people had attributed tentative nicknames to. That strain on my being immediately fainted. Near me, Third was still close where I left him, watching over the encampment of survivors, refugees from an old world. I stared at him, curious, wondering if I looked as Rickson had. Third gazed down below with calm green eyes, roaming over the whole clearing, eyeing the positions of three other clones currently present. He could see across the distance with surprising clarity. Second was by the dungeon, fourth and fifth were shadowing him, trying to figure out how to use telepathy. I regarded myself. With the boost to wisdom, willpower, and charisma, their total rose to 85. It meant I was five off of increasing the maximum number of copies of Never Alone. After all this time, I was still hesitating on using my stat points. They were an extremely precious resource, as they represented immediate incremental increase to any aspect of myself I ever found lacking. A scarce one, too seeing as only one is given every level. I wasn't a fool to think that just because I'd been so blessed, it made these points worth anything less. The truth was, I still barely knew anything about this new reality. Sure, these points could bump and attribute now, but as seen with Never Alone, they could potentially mean something more. Because of my title and item, I could hoard what I already had with relatively minimal risk. That spoke to some part of me the one that had adapted and changed along with the world. In this manner, at least, I could be prepared to adjust immediately. Name, Evan Winst. Level 23. Title, Trailblazing Vanquisher of the Hive Mind. Class, Solo. Strength, 16. Constitution, 17. Dexterity, 15. Agility, 16. Perception, 19. Intelligence, 20 plus 5. Wisdom, 27 plus 5. Willpower, 29 plus 5. Charisma, 14 plus 5. Luck, 14. Stat points, 18. Skills, never alone, low profile, solo's instinct, solo sanctuary, telepathy. 
regarding that strange knowledge of myself was like looking at my being quantitated, with titles and skills indicative of any outstanding qualities beyond those obvious in attributes. Objectively, I was someone with experience operating solo and gathering information undetected. Subjectively, I was a man trying to acclimate, a survivor no different than the rest, as much a stranger to this new world as anyone else, lost, homeless, and thrust into danger and unknown, leveraging every tool I could. Skill, never alone. Even working alone, it never hurts to have another set of eyes. Better yet, when they're yours, you are able to replicate yourself to a certain degree and capacity. Max copies. Wisdom plus willpower plus charisma divided by ten plus ring of the hive mind equals nine. Copies have halved strength, constitution, dexterity, and agility. All other attributes are retained. Sixth, seventh, and eighth and ninth greeted me, a wave and a nod. A pat on the back, simple acknowledgement. All the ways I might greet myself. Nine clones, ten Evans. I couldn't produce a copy from another copy, unfortunately. It was an extremely limiting aspect of Never Alone, given its scope, but I suppose it was only fair. It was the first thing I had tried. But I paid attention to the cloning process this time, not ever having the opportunity to really test it before. The clones kept my clothes and appearance, perfect copies of myself, Yet the things I had on me weren't necessarily translated. My spider silk backpack stayed present only on the original, arbitrary objects I held during the process didn't copy over. I tested a few things, holding rocks, sticks, and other random items. My phone, which I had kept and still had no signal. Every clone came out as only plain old me, without any accessories beyond my clothes. I suppose that had to do with the phrasing to a certain degree and capacity in the skill description. A limit on replication. And what exactly happened to my clones when they died? The thought brought back dark memories, though I couldn't remember returning to confirm a body or not. I create the clones from basically nothing. Do they return to nothing? I stared at Ninth, trying to dismiss him, and found nothing forthcoming. Even when the clone himself tried to will it, Instead, the process reversed, where before I stepped away from myself, a copy of my individualism retaining my mind, walking away from my original, the copy stepped into me, returning to the originator. This sensation was oddly familiar as I reabsorbed my clones, looking towards the sleepy wood. As Second had just discovered, it had to be the original Evan to enter the dungeon. Clones were barred. It left me with a certain choice I was bound to face eventually. The question of whether or not there was a reason to stay relatively anonymous, if there was merit to revealing my skills and if doing so put me in any danger or gained me any benefit. I wondered how much wisdom and intelligence affected my reasoning. Recurring social patterns were somehow apparent to me, sifting through my memories. Historical precedent of prominent figures and those around them, even present in my everyday. Jealousy, envy, or friendship, opportunity. I'd attract all that and more. To reveal myself would be declaring an ability to help everyone. My mental attributes cursed me with a sense of what would happen. I didn't want to be shackled to the greater good, burdened with a responsibility like that. I'd never have a moment to myself. I wasn't heartless, but neither was I noble. I valued my independence more than the greater good, a selfish take, no doubt, but a necessary one considering the apocalypse. 
It was hard to feel bad about that when I felt so crucial to surviving. This new world, it was terrible, dangerous, and every moment was one I could die. But, looking back, for me, had the old world been any different? Here, at least, I was free. I thought maybe that was why I was a solo. Not because I'd been alone in my old life, but because I'd always dreamed of liberty. And now I had it. Unshakable independence to be someone more than what I was. It was a small, inconsequential revelation. Yet, it resounded deep enough that I looked at my hands, pondering the wisdom of tribute. With it, I felt more grounded. The confusing tangle of emotions I carried with my whole life finally unfurling as I regarded them. It was like I could breathe again, not realizing I'd ever stopped. More sure of myself, I made my way to Sleepywood, reabsorbing my clones. It was the first time in a while that my original self could be in direct danger. The notion went against my entire approach to the apocalypse. And although the nature of the dungeon demanded my presence, nothing demanded that I enter. And yet, I needed to know, firsthand, the mysterious reality of this world, the unknown nature the system people had taken to calling it, whether wonder or danger. I wanted to see what the world had come to. End of chapter. Chapter 26 I pushed through the film warily, having watched half the group enter before me. There was a subtle sense of pressure, and my senses opened to a world of twilight. A dreamy forest caught between day and night. I looked in awe. Dungeon Notice, congratulations! You are a member of the first group to enter Sleepywood. As the first group to explore this dungeon, the quality of your rewards have vastly increased. Jesus, someone whispered, stepping out of that primordial film. Nearby, Rose, Gary, and the others came through. Well, said Rose, looking around. I mentally regarded the dungeon notice, interested in what the local notification system like that. If there were world and area notices, then I suppose it followed that there was something like this. I rested my hand on my goblin knife, looking around. An eerie sense of being watched. Was it Solus instinct? Something more? It made me uneasy, and I resisted the immediate urge to use Never Alone. It was the first time in a while I didn't have a second set of eyes to watch myself. Parker was scanning the tree line while Rickson investigated the only thing of note nearby. The stone formation we had walked out of. It looked oddly out of place, surrounded by evergreen grass so vibrant as to be tinged blue by the moonlight. He placed his hand on it as I stared up at the moon, people spreading out around me. It was blue. Gone was the pale grey I was so accustomed to. A blue crescent circle commanded the sky. A few people followed my gaze, wordless. Here, Brixen said, his voice carrying over through the quiet. Looks like it's an exit, too. A few people walked over to confirm. I joined Parker, who hadn't taken his eyes off the tree line, along with a couple of others. Somehow, it felt the most natural to stay watchful for dangers. Probably an effect of usage of my clones thus far. Feels like we're being watched, Parker remarked, uneasy. The man didn't have a weapon, but he moved with certain confidence I didn't question. It was in the description... I recalled, watchful eyes. Solar instinct prompted me and my gaze slipped left to the other side of the tree line. The feeling faded near immediately, leaving me wondering what had triggered it. I don't like it, he said. I agreed with him there. Well, we'll find out if it's worth it in the end, I replied. 
It didn't take long for us to start moving. We stepped into the shadow of the trees with extreme caution. Parker and a couple others in front, Rickson following, Gary, Rose and myself towards the back. The fact that we were so closely grouped made me tense. As the group stepped between the trees, I tended towards the rear. There, I traced the gazes of the group, their squinting eyes against the twilight shadows. As I walked, I stepped away from a clone of myself, materializing into individualism behind me, wordlessly stepping away into the dimly lit shadows. I repeated the maneuver three more times, the clones only moving once everyone was out of range. They spread out, walking cautiously. I sensed it before I saw it. I turned fast. One of the vanguards yelled and I saw a shadow crash into Parker. I jerked forward, realizing instantly I had nothing to help him from this distance. Instead, I heard something beside me, a crackle of flame and the smell of smoke. Firebolt! My eyes went wide. Rose was there, eyes alight and hands splayed. An orb of bright fire shot forward, crashing into the figure and setting it alight. It roared, squirming as Spur caught on fire, and Parker somehow threw it off. It scrambled to its feet, raking grass and dirt as it came to a halt. The thing stood like a tiger, except it had six legs and four eyes. A tenor spoke out over its crown, jaws like mandibles, opening four ways. There was a moment where everyone just stared, it being the only thing moving, roaring at being cornered. Attack! Gary yelled, just as it lunged for Rickson. Stop it! Parker slammed into it, fearless, as the others piled on and Rickson scrambled back. Power strike! He yelled, and I saw his fist blur, pistoning into the alien creature's side. Then roared, shuddering, trying to get purchase. Keep it down, Parker! One of the people in front. Bloodletting slash! A knife sought out its throat, leaving it choking and bleeding. Its movements immediately slowed. It struggled, desperate, until eventually it died. Everyone took a collective breath, some people frozen in movement and hesitation, others staring steely-eyed. God! Someone in turn, shaky. What the hell is that thing? Looks like a damn alien. Parker, are you okay? Rose ran over. I'm fine, just bruised, thankfully, he groaned. People were standing over it, but an equal amount were staring at the few people who had let loose skills, myself among them. I was surprised witnessing them in action, especially Rose, and I couldn't decide whether they were more or less impactful than my own. There was nothing in my repertoire so directly applicable. I'd have been a sitting duck if I'd been pounced on like that. The thought served as a cautious reminder. Parker was breathing hard, looking at the body as Gary and I walked up. My clone scanned the perimeter quietly, eyes on the trees above. Parker's voice carried when he spoke, the glade returning to that strange quietness. I leveled, he said. I think Rickson was right. Rickson was off to the side, breathing hard. Yeah, yeah I, I did too, he chimed in. Gary looked at the body. Jack, you said you had a skill for this. Yeah, fair warning, it's going to be a little unsettling, a man said, walking over, looking at the body. He held his hand over the creature. Ugly fella. Day's hunt. And I blinked as I saw skin and fur peeled back, meat, organs, and bones pulling away as the beast came apart, even the antenna and eyes. Jack saw everyone staring. I'm a hunter. I can only use this once a day, and I have to participate processing anything I hunt. He paused. And, uh, yeah, I leveled too. That's amazing, I said, genuinely stunned. It was a skill that was entirely utility similar in vain to my own. 
and looked to skip the entire process of skinning and butchering an animal. In the apocalypse, where it was unlikely to find anyone who knew how to do those things, he was invaluable. Compared to Never Alone, was him more or less impactful. Before the influx of attributes and levels I'd lucked out on, I was only able to clone myself two, three times, and I'd already been thankfully skewed towards the pertinent attributes. Were three weakened versions of myself really any more useful than what I'd just seen? The solar class, I felt, was one that lent itself to more maneuverability, not so much for one direct combat or strictly survival. It couldn't take on that monster like Parker had, not without preparation, nor could it do what Jack had done either. I was pulled out of my thoughts as something drew my gaze. Guys, Rickson said, turning heads. I'm glad we confirmed the leveling part, he said, pushing up his glasses. But I think we might have confirmed the item thing too. Look. There was suddenly a chest nearby, and I'd seen enough of that style of container to recognize it even before the message appeared. It hadn't been there moments before, and somehow everyone already knew where to find it. Dungeon notice for defeating Gloomdriger, your group is rewarded with a common chest. Dungeon notice, congratulations, as you are the first group to explore the sleepy wood, that common chest reward has been upgraded to an uncommon chest. Item, uncommon chest. Chests are hidden troves of treasure, capable of holding great boons and riches. This chest has the potential to hold uncommon valuables, either in effect, rarity, or quality. And so began our exploration of the Sleepy Wood. End of chapter. Chapter 27 We sat around a fire, and I recall Rose having sparked one to life. If a class had something to do with fire, as evidenced by the firebolt, then it made sense. I was sitting on a log, surreptitiously glancing at the others over a kebab of glistening gleam tiger meat. Apparently, Jack had a skill that allowed him to determine if something was edible. Technically, I had one too, but this method was much more convenient. Elsewhere in the sleepy wood, my clones were on reconnaissance. The increased perception was tangible, every sound and movement somehow more pronounced. There was a layer beneath the eerie quiet of the woods, a sound unheard, like a buzz of insects lost in the monotony. A clone dodged forward as a snarling thing appeared. This time, it was an oddly lithe creature, having been pressed against the shadow of the tree. Two arms came down into sights, and its bugger-like eyes were complemented with horns. Its arm came down, aimed for my neck. Idly, I noticed I wasn't panicking. I saw it strike, traced the path in the moment between moments. I was processing it faster, much faster than I should. It was taller than me, hunting me, but I never faltered. Sixth dodged again, coming to his feet in half-surprise. Then Seventh came, peeling away from the tree line and approaching from behind. From the other side, Eighth and Ninth, until suddenly it was surrounded. The sides came down again, but I had a view from four different angles. I watched myself dodge, never in danger for a moment. Mastery of the singular space unparalleled, an itch across all my senses. Solar instinct, working in tandem across all my clones, amplified even. None of my clones had any weapons, and if not for the title and boost to my physical stats, my numbers wouldn't have meant much. As it stood, my clones reached the physical attributes of my prior original self, and then a bit more. Each of my cells weaved between the strikes, and I didn't freeze or panic, locked in a state of flow. 
I didn't hesitate to get close, oddly confident at being untouched. I grappled the creature down, clone staring at its limbs with a foot on its joints and pulling with both arms, multiple arms at a time. It died quietly, without a sound, and left four Evans coming down from adrenaline. Dungeon notice, for defeating a glooming scythe, you are awarded a dark wand. Notice, congratulations, as you are part of the first group to explore the Sleepy Wood, the Dark Wand reward has been upgraded to Twilight Wand. Item, Twilight Wand. A wand crafted from moon-soaked wood. It is perfect for harnessing and scattering rays of the dawn, the soft glow of twilight, and the shadows of dusk. Minus 20% increase in the effectiveness of twilight, light, and dark magic. I stared down at the item, a shot of excitement at the thought of magic but the wand itself didn't declare any support towards learning. There wasn't anything immediately obvious when holding it. No surge of power or mysterious arcane knowledge. I looked at the wand in my hand, amounting, currently, into nothing more than a stick. It was a little disappointing, but I held hope, allowing a clone to experiment with it. Back with my original body, we were discussing the nature of the dungeon. I think it's an open space, Vixen was saying. I'm not sure if we're supposed to defeat anything. We can leave whenever we want, but that will be the end of our bonuses. I tore into my kebab and tried to ignore the thoughts so intently directed towards me. He hasn't said anything. I wonder what he can do to have escaped that thing. Rose shuffles beside me and I felt her gaze lift for a moment. That being said, I wouldn't be surprised if there was some kind of dungeon boss. Rickson added, to the effect of uncomfortable shuffling. Risk and reward, Parker intoned, crossing his arms. He was wearing a furred vest that would have looked entirely out of place if we hadn't seen him pull it out of a common chest. It was blue, and I couldn't pull up a description on it. Apparently, it was Gloom Tiger Hide. Well, now that we're here, we have no choice but to make the most of it, Gary said gruffly. It may seem greedy, but I don't think we can afford to leave empty-handed. Not with so much to gain. How long are we talking? Someone asked, concerned. Days at least. This time, I recognized Jack. We're leveling, getting useful items. If everyone comes out stronger, we've got more tools to survive once we leave. We can't let an opportunity like this go to waste. So what? We just hunt, go out, search for monsters, and kill them. It might be for the best, Parker replied. There were a few moments, and I listened to that buzzing noise, that frequency of thought. It was strange, grabbing snippets of internal monologue, less daunting now that I had practiced a close proximity. The general sentiment was agreement and nervousness. I directed my mental focus on Rose, whose thoughts were already hard to ignore, reaching for that mental equilibrium where all other noise was filtered and only a clear stream of thought remained. Would have been impossible without the increase in mental stats. Evan, what do you think of all this? She asked once the conversation died down and people spread out. He seems oddly relaxed. Is he not nervous? I glanced at her, catching curious blue eyes. Someone has to make this first step, right? I don't think we can survive without getting stronger. There's no telling what else is out there in the swamp. Or at least in the world, for that matter. He's right, you know, Parker joined, holding a skewer over the fire. People need to see that, for their own good. He nodded to me politely, and I felt his gaze linger before he turned back to the fire. He's stronger than he looks. He was the first person saving people, and he somehow knew how to deal with the root mother's hive mind control. His gaze flicked back to me. 
I'm glad he's here, at least. I scratched my head. Well, let's hope we can make our time here worthwhile. End of chapter. Chapter 28 It was the second day since I'd entered the sleepy wood. I still retained a connection to the clones outside. First, who was the furthest clone from me, was still with Nicholas, Jonathan, and the group from the library. Clones second through first were right outside the dungeon, observing the survivors. My multi-individualism allowed me an unparalleled perspective. The survivors were splintering and clear camps were being formed, groups of people with different interests. I suppose it made sense, considering the sheer number of them. More people could fit into a skyscraper than one would think. A large, coherent group would be ideal, but people had conflicting interests, confident in the powers they had despite everything that had happened. It didn't need to read minds to see the trauma. Nearly everyone that had been under the effects of Root Mother Hivemind had scars along their spinal column, extending up towards the head and down towards the lower back. Scars that weren't just physical. In the chaos, some were taking advantage of this weakness. Can I help you, gentlemen? A weary old man croaked. Second, fourth, and fifth glanced around a decently large tent. Thick branches formed a support. A layer of leaves served as a makeshift walls. Flimsy, but one of the few structures against the elements. I heard that you could make simple clothes. Rumor had it that this man, Ralph, was a craftsman. Or something in that vein. Do you have anything to cover the head? That I can, he replied, crossing his arms. His gaze flicked to fourth and fifth, their faces covered by the hoodies every clone came with. It was a half-hearted measure, but no one had bothered to look too closely, let alone the small number of times the clones were ever in the same place. Revealing my face was something I had every clone avoid whenever possible. Not for free. I need... Forth hefted a waterfowl on a shoddy wooden table, laying it across its beddy. Food was a commodity now, most survivors not knowing how to hunt or scavenge. The bird was enough to feed a handful for a day. Ralph glanced at the animal for only a moment. That'll do. Then he reached below the table and retrieved three cloaks, amongst a crate of other garments. The clones took the clothes, feeding their weight. Ralph eyed us, me, as I inspected the garments. Three pairs of hands turning over the cloth, tracing the stitching and material. Mundane items, as opposed to the ones recognized by the system. They were good. Got some kind of hunter glass or skill? He asked curiously. Strange group, I heard him think. They're not with the recruiters, are they? Something like that, one of me responded, whirling the cloak over my neck and securing it. The others did the same. There's talk among the camps of leaving... Know anything about that? Sure, Ralph snorted. Fool's errand, in my opinion. There's a group going around recruiting anyone over level five, or with a noteworthy class. They plan to leave when the safest place is right here. If you ask me, we should be fortifying what damn little we have, his voice raised, smacking the table. This isn't a damn game, no matter how it might convince you. Memory splashed in my head, making me grimace. I couldn't agree more, I replied, leaving the tent. Previously, each clone had taken towards a mass of survivors, spread out amongst them, watching, waiting for something, for someone to take charge or a defined group to appear. And they had, if only in the small numbers, 
the same people around a campfire, a pair of strangers, etc. I'd have asked Ralph for context, but the truth was I already was aware of two major parties, representing two primary choices, to stay or to go. The latter poaching off potential talent or able bodies, seeking unique classes or useful skills. They were typically leaving older folks, lower-level people, and non-combat classes alone, which in turn formed those more willing to stay. Their people wasn't anyone amongst the survivors with knowledge of classes like I had. There was, however, enough talk, introspection, and speculation to fuel everyone's thoughts. Thoughts that rose to the surface and, understandably, monopolized someone's mind enough that I could skim them at my relative leisure. It was the nature of anyone into question their reality and find understanding. Of course, people had their own ideas and opinions regarding the nature of classes. I formed my own after considering them all. A class, generally, had something to do with the person's background. Not everyone had one, and I noted people with a class were actually in the minority. I'd caught wind of maybe eight people who had one, including Rose and Jack, across all my clones listening, though there were probably a bit more considering the nature of my senses, but it was still among hundreds of survivors. Having a class gave someone a focus for their skill acquisition and abilities. They represent an increased intuition, prowess, competency, and ease regarding a particular field. Everyone else had some sort of general skill, one that normally corresponded to some character trait or aspect of their person, though not as encompassing enough to merit a class. The skill itself reflected that. Usually, it was something minor, relative to a class skill. I'd heard, and in some cases seen, the likes of inner strength, acute sense, deft hands, and hard body, and more. I had my own thoughts regarding the matter. Those general skills seemed less focused than anything I had. Since those people were without a class, I wondered what might happen to such skills if they managed to get one, and if such skills were attainable outside the focus of my own class. I knew that it was possible for the same reason that I could read minds, telepathy. The fact I had obtained a skill as a reward meant skills were attainable outside of leveling. I doubted such a thing would be easy, but the fact remained. With Ralph's cloaks, I could keep my face shrouded better than to the hoodies alone, it didn't exactly lend itself to trustworthiness, but that wasn't my goal. I was a faceless watcher, observing events as they happened in the camp. Small details about skills, classes, and the strange system brought on by the apocalypse cropped up with the sample size so large. Every clone of mine was a sponge, absorbing information. Inside the sleepy wood, they served as extra hands and extra eyes, hunting while I tested my new limits. There was innate synchronicity across all my clones, a single frequency of consciousness, rhythm, and thought. I could lift a finger and every clone would do the same, at the exact same time. I could close my eyes and walk across the ground with confidence if another of mine was watching. I knew myself was only another set of eyes and could know. My coordination was exceptional. Sixth leaned backwards, hair rustling with a scythe limb passing overhead. He, along with seventh, eighth, and ninth, kept their distance from the main, non-clone group, close enough to aid but far enough to pass unnoticed. I stood on the sideline, eyes flicking across the glooming scythe's body, watching its movements as all my other selves did. Four perspectives, one all-knowing combatant. I watched its stance shift and I understood the mechanics of its body the motion of its muscles and joints. 
I could process the movement, see the application of force. And Sixth stepped to the left. A combination of intense precision, foresight, and Solo's instinct all worked together, such that a lethal strike missed by bare inches. It was exhilarating. A rush like no other, cheating death by mere inches. I was both dancer and choreographer, leading my opponent everywhere. I stepped into the thing's range, closing the distance. My arm braced against its back, and two other me's were suddenly there, putting its arms at the shoulders. The third clone grabbed its head, snapping it at the neck. I stood over a corpse, and yawned, hands in my pockets. Nearby, the rest of the group had fallen into a rhythm. Parker, with the vanguard, served as first contact. My increased perception did more than affect my clones. Now that I knew what to look for, I'd spotted released war ambushes already, eyes always in the trees. Rose stayed back, and there hadn't yet been a moment in my intervention was needed. My role was strictly to watch our rear. Rose had a particularly interesting class, Mage. It was information that hadn't been involunteered. Rather, she'd been thinking of it quite loudly when there was time to think, as everyone did. It gave me something to think about regarding the sheer scope of classes in general. Magic. I'd already confirmed the possibility just by encountering the Twilight Wand, an item a clone of mine still had not managed to make any breakthroughs with. Yet, it teased the mind with thoughts of what someone could do if they survived. Parker stepped over another defeated creature, a glow beast going by the dungeon notices. It seemed that people directly participating in the creature's downfall were most likely to level, lending credence to the type of contribution reward system as for actual material rewards. These single creature encounters were only rewarding us with minor items. I was beginning to think Parker had some analog of the hard body skill. He was bearing the brunt of these creatures' attacks with surprising ease. Parker walked over to a tree, pulling something from the branches. Glow pendant, he said, provides a light radius, walls of dark type creatures. He shrugged, looking around. That first uncommon chest, apparently, had been something of a stroke of luck. From what I'd gathered, chests were more likely to contain higher quality items and had a chance to contain multiple. It was more common to gain single items and non-effectual ones than that. Nothing so immediately useful or powerful. I paused with such immediacy for the foes around me to notice. A hunch across all my senses, a sudden creeping intuition. Solar instinct was hissing at me, hushing whispers with all the intensity of a scream. My eyes shot across the entire group, looking for the threat, trying to understand what was going on. There's always been that feeling that it was all too easy, that getting these creatures and gaining rewards was too effortless. If there was anything I learned, it was that levels and valuables had to be paid for in danger. The Sleepy Wood woke up. End of chapter. I would quickly like to thank the Tier 5 members, Marky, Cam Maxwell, Casper Arnolds, Oakfield, Lord Azrakal, and it's difficult to pronounce. Thank you very much.